In Revelation chapter 19, um, I read these verses before we pray. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted for her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Father, we bow before you, and today you have given us the privilege to sing the songs of heaven. And Lord, um, maybe this is um, just rehearsal for us to learn the songs of praise, to learn to lift you up, to learn to exalt you, to enjoy praising you. And we um, thank you. Thank you, Father. We say, like you taught us, Jesus, to pray, hallowed be your name, Father. We pray your kingdom would come, and I pray specifically, Lord, your kingdom would come in this room, in this hour, right now, as it is in heaven. You would not have taught us to pray that way if you did not want to answer that prayer. And so we join with the prayers of ages to say to you, let your kingdom come here. Father, we are grateful to you. Thank you for your grace that you would give us the the, the privilege of meeting together in the name of your son, Jesus. Jesus, we exalt you as a risen Savior. The King of kings, Lord of lords. We pray in this time that we would be aware of your voice, aware, Holy Spirit, of your conviction, of your comfort, of your counsel, pray, Lord, starting with me all over this room, that we would be quick to obey as we recognize your leading. Father, be on the throne today in our hearts, our lives. I pray that you would move us beyond hearing your word to doing your word. I pray you would move us beyond just worshiping you in this room. I pray, Lord, this afternoon, tomorrow, till we meet again, that our lives would be lived worshiping you. Just um, center our thoughts on you. Thank you for your word that's alive and active. We're trusting that you will speak today through it, with it. And uh, look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, and we are working through the Gospel of Matthew, kind of section by section, chapter by chapter, in a group of messages that we're referring to the King as the King, and we're learning about Jesus as introduced to us through the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11 and chapter 12. Now in your house or your apartment or in your dorm, uh, somewhere and around your life, 
probably a lot of you have um, an invitation to something. Uh, maybe it's on your refrigerator, maybe it's on your bulletin board, maybe it's um, in a basket on the counter, it may be still in the floorboard of your car. Uh, just, but there is an invitation perhaps to a uh, graduation party or a bridal shower or a wedding. Uh, maybe it's a fundraiser. Maybe it's a, a campus gathering of some part of a club that you're a part of. Somewhere on the bottom of that invitation, it's likely on most of those, there are um, four letters grouped there. I think I heard it whispered already. R S. V-P. Right at the bottom of that invitation, we've probably spent a lot of our life trying to figure out what RSVP stands for. And uh, we know that uh, it's very difficult to find four English words that communicate anything in order that means uh, please respond. We just understand RSVP means please respond. The reason for that is, is that it comes from the French language, respondez s'il vous plaît. Now, you did not expect your pastor born in Alabama named Carlos to speak French this morning, did you? Well, I am a doctor, okay? So, there you go. That, uh, la that uh, French phrase uh, means respond. Please respond. And maybe for no other reason, this is a reminder that some of you need to go home and respond to some of those invitations. There's nothing that will cure you of being uh, slow to respond to RSVPs than planning your daughter's wedding. That will make you work hard from then on with everybody else's uh, invitations. Wherever those invitations are and however you have responded, I want you to be aware today that you hold in your hand an invitation. It may be a, an electronic device, but I have right here in my hand this morning and you have on your lap an invitation. This book, the Word of God, comes to us expecting a response. This is not just 66 books of history, though it is accurate in every one of its reports. This book is more than history. It's more than literature. It's more than amazing writing. It's more than information. This book is an invitation, and specifically today in Matthew chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 12, we have an invitation, and you see it verse after verse after verse as people hear from Jesus, as people see Jesus, they hear what he said, they witness what he did, people are responding to Jesus. Now, um, I've spent a lot of time over the years, various seasons in the Gospel of Matthew, 
most of you, all, I mean, you, 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 you've read through the Gospel of Matthew. If you're following our church reading plan, we're already beyond the Gospel of Matthew for this year. Uh, you've, you've studied there. You've memorized some verses. Uh, I've preached parable by parable in Matthew chapter 13. I've preached Sermon on the Mount, uh, passage after passage. I've preached the Great Commission in Matthew 28 several times. Uh, we spent several weeks in the Lord's Prayer just in January and the first part of February. Working back through Matthew, there is something new and fresh that keeps, uh, keeps standing up on the page. Uh, when I open the book of Matthew in recent days, something happens. You, do you know uh, those books maybe we grew up with that when you uh, open those books, all of a sudden the page just flips up and things stand up there? I, was, I love those books. I, we had a grandbaby on the way and... I'm looking forward to those books. You just you open the page and all the figures stand up, the trees stand up. It, it, it's just they they just come alive. And when I open the book of Matthew, something keeps standing up on the page like never before. And what keeps standing up on the page when I open the book of Matthew are the responses of people to what Jesus did and what Jesus said. Now, the, the gospel of Matthew, it is the story of good news. And we read through it and we see the genealogy of Jesus. We see the birth of Jesus. We see uh, the story of John the Baptist, the forerunner to the king. We see him in the wilderness for 40 days. We see him baptized. We see him heal the sick and we see him through Matthew, feed the 5,000, feed the 4,000. We see him calm the storm. You see him teach in parables. You see Jesus arrested and put on trial and crucified and buried. And you see him rise again. And you hear him give the great commission. All of that story of the good news of Jesus is in this book. But also recorded... In the Gospel of Matthew, or not, all, not just that information about Jesus, but recorded in, intertwined in all of that work that Jesus is doing and all of the things that he's saying, there is recorded forever the response of people to those things. Now, the, the, the Word of God, we're told, will last forever. And it seems to me that if God knows his word will last forever, that he would be very careful and pointed in what he kept recorded in his word. And it has to mean for us that a big part of the story of Jesus is the story of how people responded to who he was. Jesus himself asked in the Gospel of Matthew to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? He wants response. And if you're a note taker today, it's going to be easy. Because there's one point to the outline today. And here it is. King Jesus compels a response. King Jesus compels a response. The story of his life, the story of his death, the story of his resurrection, his call to repentance, his 
explanation of what sin is and what we do with sin. He's just, he's putting that out there for us to respond to. And in Matthew chapter 11, you see a lot of different responses. And maybe today, this would be the day that you will respond. That you'll respond to Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, it's the story. Let's just kind of walk through these verses across chapter 11 and chapter 12. And uh, looking here, chapter 11, verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. It turns out these cities were around the Sea of Galilee, uh, places like Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin, uh, he, he preached in these cities. And verse 2, we begin to hear about John. It's John the Baptist. This is the forerunner of Jesus. And when we're hearing about John here, he's in prison. And verse 2 says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples, those who were following John the Baptist, and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Here's John the Baptist who was prophesied in the Old Testament. He came with the specific purpose of being the forerunner to King Jesus. When he saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. When he was there to baptize Jesus, he looked at Jesus and he said, I'm not even worthy to, to, to deal with your shoes. How can I, how can I baptize you? And there was initially so much boldness and courage demonstrated by John the Baptist. But here now he's in prison and he sends this question to Jesus. And he says, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Why was he in prison? Matthew chapter 14 tells the story of his death. John the Baptist had preached against sin. He had pointed out, he had made it publicly known that King Herod had committed sin, what he was doing was wicked because he had taken the wife of his brother Philip at the time of Philip's death. The wife of Philip's daughter danced for the king and the king made a promise that he would do anything that he, she wanted him to do. She went to her mom and asked her what he, she should ask for. She was so angry with John the Baptist pointing out their sin that she said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. She went back and told King Herod. King Herod kept his word. They went to the prison where John the Baptist was, and they would behead him and bring his head back to the king on a platter. And before that happens, John has sort of a crisis of belief. He's questioning things. And he says, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Probably every one of us in this room has had some moment that we would describe as a crisis of belief. There's been a time where we believed in Jesus, trusted in Jesus, but we wake up to our Monday, and we see our Monday and maybe some life circumstance, some situation we're in, some news comes to us, something happens in our day or our life, and we're looking around and we say, God, are you there? Are you who you claim to be? Can I trust your promises? You see, John here in prison just 
prior to having his head taken off was not there celebrating the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. John the Baptist was about to lose his life for standing against sin and proclaiming the righteousness of God. And what does Jesus do? Jesus did what the Holy Spirit has done in your heart over and over and over again. He comes and he assures you and gives you confirmation and affirmation that you're his and that he's the one that you can trust on. Jesus said in verse 4, And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I love that this description of what Jesus was doing and had done was the very words of Jesus. This wasn't the report. This is how he saw his life. He knew that what he was doing was evidence of him being the son of God. It was evidence of him being the Christ and the Messiah, the anointed one that had been promised in the Old Testament. And he said, look what I've done. Tell John, remind him. People see again. People walk again. Lepers are healed. The deaf the deaf hear again. The dead are living again. That's the Jesus that we're talking about now, week after week after week in the Gospel of Matthew. That's the Jesus that you've put your faith and your trust in. That's the Jesus that I'm offering to you today to believe in and to trust in. What a Savior. Well, you work on through this passage through the rest of chapter 11. There's a portion there where he uh, confirms who John the Baptist is. He moves from talking about who he is as the Messiah to recognizing publicly who John was and how uh, that, that no prophet had ever existed like John and, and really sets him up as being um, someone to be honored. But then verse 20 picks up with where verse 1 began. Verse 1 began where it says that Jesus was going to teach and preach in their cities. And verse 20, you see Jesus addressing the response of people who heard his preaching and teaching. And what was it? Verse 20 says, then he began to denounce the cities. To denounce means to uh, reproach, to revile, to express disapproval, disappointment. He's saying what happened in these cities among the people was wrong. It's disappointing. He began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Right out there in your margin, if you do that sort of thing, just the word response. There we see a response. He, he did mighty works in their cities what was their response? They did not repent. They did not turn from trusting in whatever they had been trusting in. They did not turn from their old ways to Christ. He says in verse 21, Woe to you, Chorazin, that's the name of a city, just on the north edge of the Sea of Galilee. Woe to you, Bethsaida, a city about two and a half miles from Chorazin. 
for, for woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. It's like he's pointing out, you've heard of me, you've known of me, you've seen my miracles, you've heard me preach and teach and you didn't repent. And because of you hearing and seeing and having this opportunity, there's going to be a worse judgment on you than there will be for Tyre and Sidon. I have no way to comprehend how there can be different degrees of hell, but somehow, some way, that's what Jesus describes here, the um, judgment will be different for those who have heard and seen. Verse 23, and you Capernaum, he names another city. He says, and you Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. The response, the people in the city of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum was that they did not repent. And the result was Jesus saying, heaven won't be yours, hell will be yours. And the judgment that you will experience will be worse than what Sodom experienced. For every one of them, they would have known of the Old Testament story of Sodom that was destroyed by fire falling down. We go on and you continue to see response. You see Jesus doing things, but there's response. And in chapter 12, there's the response of the Pharisees. The uh, disciples in chapter 12 start gathering grain on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees' response is, this is unlawful. They question Jesus. Verse 1, at that time, chapter 12, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, and here's it, he, he points to himself. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath issue comes up again. Again, the Pharisees respond. They respond with anger. They respond with wanting to get rid of Jesus. Verse 9, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not... If, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said... 
to that man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. Don't you just want to be in that moment sometimes? That miraculous moment where Jesus is speaking and teaching. He tells the man to stretch out his hand and when he puts out his withered hand, it is well. And what was the response of the Pharisees? Verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Again, another response. How can we get rid of this Jesus? How can we shut him down? Verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him. He healed them all. I I don't want to read over that too fast. If you're an underliner in Scripture, what a great verse to catch your attention when you open Matthew again. Just that phrase, healed them all. That's the Jesus we're talking about. Healed them all. And ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And as you look in these next few verses, Matthew records a prophecy from Isaiah. And what he records, Isaiah Isaiah was written more than 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus. 700 years. 700 years before Jesus. It says... Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Do you know what? What goes right there at the end of that and in his name, the Gentiles will hope, response. Because even in the prophecy 700 years before the birth of Christ, prophecies given that Gentiles will respond to Jesus and they will respond to him with hope. They will find hope in Jesus. Now, the Gentiles... Who are the Gentiles? They are the non-what? Jews. Who who are we? Most in this room, there may be a few that have a blood lineage of being Jewish. But most of us in this room have no blood lineage of being Jewish. Therefore, we are what? Gentiles. And there again, writing just kind of making notes in my scripture under that phrase and in his name the Gentiles I put in parentheses this is me 700 years add 2023 right to this day me standing here that's me he says Gentiles will respond to Jesus and I've got to wonder in the room today Whatever brought you here, whatever you you came with a friend, came as routine, came searching, came looking, came drawn, not sure why you're here, could it not be that the prophecy of Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, is about to be fulfilled in this room this morning by you finding hope in Jesus Christ? That could be you. That could be your response today, a fulfillment of what was spoken hundreds of years ago. 
Why not believe and trust him today? He's been looking for you right up to this moment. Now, verse 22 down through verse 37, Jesus begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. And he talks about the Holy Spirit work in the context of another healing, casting a demon out. He says in verse 22, Then a demon-oppressed man, someone who's being controlled by a demon, then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. That's the Jesus we're dealing with. And all, look at the response. And all the people were amazed. I love how Matthew just keeps including how people respond to what Jesus did. What Jesus said. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the what heard it? Who? The Pharisees. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. What they said is that the king of darkness, the, 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 the prince of all demons, Satan himself, this is happening by him. This is, this is wicked that we're witnessing here. If only by Beelzebub... It is only by Beelzebul, the, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Now, verse 25, Jesus is about to address the Pharisees. And Jesus is about to, I don't know if you understand this phrase or not. I'm going to find out where you're raised. Um, Jesus was about to clean their plow. I don't, does that resonate with anybody in the room? If you're from East Tennessee, maybe it was Jesus was about to read their title. I don't, what do you say? It's about to hit the fan. Um, uh, it, it's, uh, um, set them straight. I mean, he, he was about to work on them. Verse 25, knowing their thoughts. Is it phenomenal to you today that King Jesus knows your thoughts? Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he may plunder his house? Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. 
Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, even in this, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers... How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Oh, to have been just on the edge of that moment. I want to say a word to you um, about the work of the Spirit and what Jesus is teaching here. I think it's uh, timely that we would find ourselves here. Uh, many of us, many of you have uh, heard, read, seen stories of what is attributed to be the work of God on college campuses across the U.S. in recent days. And many of you have read, heard, seen something about Asbury. Just communicate with me. Seen that? that's, that's almost all of us. And we begin to read and see that it's not just at Asbury, that places like Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee, Sanford in Birmingham, Cumberland College, maybe other places and beyond that uh, similar things are happening and as we read and as we hear it didn't take long for us also to begin to see and hear people making judgments about whether or not this is a work of God or not and these verses speak to my heart on this day in this time in light of what we're seeing and hearing and teaches me what to do with my thoughts and my judgments and my words at a time like this across college campuses in the U.S. And that is to be very, very careful with my words and my judgments. And to watch and to wait and to listen and to see what God wants to do by the power of his spirit. Whether it's in this room or in Wilmore, Kentucky or Cleveland, Tennessee or Birmingham, Alabama or wherever he chooses to move. And he teaches us in these verses that the tree will be known by its fruit. And as we wait and watch and listen and respond to the Spirit's work in our own heart and life and to the Word of God, we will see in time if the tree is good because the fruit will be good.
And the Bible goes to great lengths to tell us what good fruit is. Confession of sin, repentance, the salvation of souls, responding in obedience to take the gospel to the nations, sharing faith with those that are lost, abandoning sin and wickedness and strongholds being broken, and living and pursuing holiness. And I tell you, we don't have to, we best not be quick to judge, but wait and watch and let God move where God wants to move. And maybe he wants to move in this place today. There's one other response that we see in chapter 12 Right at the end of the chapter, verse 46, it says, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. If you've read, Matt, if you've read Mark chapter 3, we know the reason they stood outside asking to speak to him. In Mark chapter 3, it says they stood outside asking to speak to him because they believed that he had lost his mind. They, they thought he had gone crazy. And Jesus took this moment and, and, and he taught a lesson. It says in verse 48, But he replied to the man who told him about them being out there, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, he knew who his mother was. We know that because you read on through the Gospels, you find him on the cross making effort to make sure his mother Mary was taken care of after he was gone. But he uses this teaching moment to show them what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says, stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He said, whoever responds to me, whoever responds to the Father, whoever responds to what God is saying to do, it is an obedience of faith. It is not an obedience that earns faith. It's an obedience because of faith. Romans speaks to us about an obedience of faith. He says, you do the will of the Father. That's who is in the family. And again, a response. And just to wrap things up today, I want to tell you there is a very specific invitation in these two chapters. We didn't read it. I want to go back to it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus issues this invitation. He's spoken boldly and strongly and bluntly throughout these two chapters. Listen to verse 28, chapter 11, Jesus speaking. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I bet somebody in this room today could use the rest of Jesus. He says, all of you that are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's the invitation. Jesus, King Jesus, 
King Jesus is coming to you and he's saying, come, come to me. You're heavy laden? What might our souls be heavy laden with? Your souls, our souls can become heavy laden, burdened down with guilt, with shame, with disappointment, with the feelings that we've disappointed others, with thoughts that we don't measure up, with the understanding that we cannot keep, we can't keep the law. And in the context of the Pharisees who keep coming saying, law, 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 who's keeping the law? Jesus says, I want you to take my yoke and not their yoke. For my yoke is easy. What was a yoke? A yoke was a long, heavy piece of wood that was formed and shaped to be placed over the backs and shoulders. Usually two animals they would be linked together to plow the field, to do work. And that heavy load of wooden brace across their shoulders would create submission and guidance and direction for what they were to do in their work. And Jesus comes and he says, look, my yoke is easy. That word easy is described uh, by some, they said it, it comes from a, a word background that uh, describes something that means um, to not make raw. You ever worn a pair of shoes that you loved, but when you took them off, the back of your heel was raw? You ever worn a shirt to a party that was two sizes too small and you had to wear a tie you get home by the end of that night and you take it off and your whole back of your neck's just raw, burning. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus says, you come to me, you take my yoke, you get under my authority as king, you submit your life to me and I want you to know my yoke won't rub you raw. There's freedom under my authority. He says this, there's rest for your soul. Have you been striving? Have you been bearing the load of guilt? Have you been bearing the load of shame? Jesus knows that you can't carry it. And he wants you to lay it at his feet and take on his yoke and let him carry the burden. Let him carry the load. And in just a few chapters, we'll see him on the cross bearing the iniquity of us all. He'll carry it for you on the cross. It's response time. It's time to decide. Will you turn and move away from a life that's not like Jesus and repent and live for him? Will you turn from what you're trusting in and come to Jesus and trust him alone for your salvation? Will you respond to him? Belief and trust. Um, I've got on my desk at home this card kind of like a four by five card and on that card I got one this past week I'm looking at that card and it's a card from a dealership that says that my 2012 Yukon is a part of the Takata airbag recall how many of you have gotten a card like that raise up your hand you gotta you gotta you've gotten one of those 
Now, I'm not going to ask you if you've done it yet or not, all right? But let me just say to you that I've gotten several of those cards, all right? I got one more. And I was thinking about today's message, and I went and I did some research on the Takata airbag recall. You know what I found out? 24 people in the U.S. have died because of the malfunction of this Takata airbag in vehicles. 24 people. I may need a ride home today, all right? (laughs) I can tell you where my first call is going to be Monday morning because I found out what can happen. It's kind of changed my mind about it. I wonder if you would respond differently to Jesus today if you found out what can happen if you don't respond in faith to him. We read it. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you go to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. You will be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Jesus tells us what happens when we reject him as our response. We will spend eternity in hell separated from him. But don't miss this. It was right after that that he said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus today. Like come from the top, come from the middle, come from the side. Come trust Jesus today. Spirit of God's moving on your heart to take something to him before the Lord. Kneel across this front. Be obedient to the Spirit. That's that's what we're asking. Just be obedient to the Spirit's leading right now. Let's stand together. I'll be here at the front. I can pray with you. I can help you. I can help you come to Jesus today for salvation. There'll be people around here that could pray with you. We've got time, all right? Just be obedient to the Spirit. Let's sing. Let's worship. Let the Spirit do His work.